preparation for that. So today, today we continue our series in, in the book of Judges called Don't Judge Me. And we're looking at the life of Gideon. And, and this is kind of like part three of this like mini series inside of Judges. So the, we the, we're going through the book of Judges this summer. And we've been doing kind of three parts in the life of Gideon because a, a lot of uh, the book of Judges is devoted to his life in, in a number of chapters. And, and so we've been looking at like how he got called and what he did. And, and last week we looked at, uh, at, at his military success. We say his military success, but it wasn't him at all. And it was the Lord, like, like remember, if you remember dwindling down the army to only 300 so that they wouldn't get the credit, but that God would get the credit. And, and now we get to the end in, uh, of Gideon's life. And, um, and it, it oh, man, it, if only he kept, like, if only he kept the same trajectory he had, but Unfortunately, it doesn't go that way. And, and what we see in the book of Judges is that now we get into, oh man, the stories from here on out are gonna get kind of worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and, and it's almost like each chapter is trying to outdo the, the terribleness of the previous chapter. And, and so as we go, it, it's it, almost like this whole thing is starting to devolve into kind of a, man, what is going on here? Even the judges... Even though, you know, in the, be the beginning of Judges, it starts off really well and they're like, man, they're great people and these are the leaders and, and we should want to follow them and be like them. And then, then we're getting to a point where we're going, I don't want to be like any of them. Like, they are terrible. Like, if you raise your kid to live how they live, you will have failed. You will have been, you will have done a bad job raising your kids. But those are the, God, the people God uses and it's all he has to use. And, and what do you know? They're flawed people. And and, and what we're going to see in Gideon's life is that he, too, is a flawed person. So I want to I start by, by asking you a, a question that's kind of odd um, and it's a little uncomfortable, but it's, I think, I think extremely important. And that's this. How do you want to finish your life? Well, don't, don't ask me that. Listen. Today is a nice day. It's summer out. Why am I? Why do you got me thinking about the end of my life? Now, I listen. I don't, you don't have to dwell on it, but but really think through. How do you want to end your life? Hopefully, you say well. <laughs> like I want to end my life well, and we don't like thinking about this because we don't like thinking about the end. We want to live in the here and now, and and good. And you should. There is a here and now, but there is an end. There's an end for you. There's an end for everyone you know. And so how do you want your life to end? Hopefully, hopefully you want to finish well and hopefully you want to stand before the Lord and you hear these beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Hopefully everything you're doing and, and, and you're like, as you think about what's next and man, okay, I got to, that all of us stand before the Lord and, and, and there is a life after this life. I want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to finish well, this past week, I, on, uh, on Friday, actually, I was talking with an old uh, kind of mentor, pastor, slash boss, slash friend of mine who's in ministry and he's a pastor. And, and, uh, and um, his, uh, his father, who, who we both worked with at one point, passed away on Monday. And his name's Dave. And Dave was uh, just a great, faithful guy who loved the Lord. And 
he was the like the head custodian kind of facilities manager at the, at the church I was at. And, and he was just a guy that like, you know, you walk into the hallways, you just want to, you just want to talk to you. You just want to just spend some time and, and just shoot the breeze. And he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. And, and so I was talking with his son um, and uh, who's, you know, older and got kids of his own. And, and, um, and I says, how, man, how's it been? Like, how are you doing? And he goes, man, it's, it's weird because um, I said, I said, you know, I know he was, you know, his health is declining. So you had some time and you know to kind of prep. And I go, so was it, you know, was it a shock? Was it like, okay, we're ready. And he goes, it was both. It was, okay, we know his dad, his health's declining, but then it just took a turn quick. And like, we weren't ready for it to go so quick, but, but also we were able to be around him. And, and so he's like, it was kind of this weird thing. And he said, I, you know, he's a pastor and he does ministry and he does, you know, you know um, memorials and stuff. And he goes, I'm usually on the other side helping the families that have a loved one pass away. And he's like, I got a whole new perspective of like, wow, like we, I feel lost. And, and I said, man, I don't, I don't know if this helps or not, but when I go, I want to go like your dad. I want to have a full life and, and, and love my kids and grandkids. You know, but hopefully I don't want any grandkids soon. Right now, it's way too early. But, but I like, and I want, to, I want to follow faithfully to the end and I want to be surrounded by family and just kind of just be able to let like, people say their goodbyes and be peaceful. Like not everyone gets to pick how they go, but if I were to pick, man, he, he finished well. He finished really well. How do you want to finish your life? hopefully well. Gideon, Gideon did not finish well. Gideon is, uh, you're watching this guy's life and you're, man, God is uh, uh, like using you and blessing you and, and, uh, and wanting to not you, for you to take the glory, but, but, but like he's, clearly you have his favor and, and, and you should just continue to ride that wave. But man, that's not how it goes. Gideon does not finish well. And what we see is that is that the temptation for power and control and, and to, to be the guy in charge ends up corrupting him. We've, we've all heard this quote. You probably don't know who it's from, so I'm gonna tell you. So if you're ever on Jeopardy, um, uh, a guy uh, named Lord Action, Lord is his title, his last name is Action, a British historian, he said this, all power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and we know this, and you probably heard this, and you know, it's used all the time in like politicians or in governments, but, but, but this really is true, that, that all power tends to corrupt, and, and for those who have absolute power, they get corrupted absolutely. Paul writes it another way. In 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 12, he says this, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here's another way of saying it, right? The Bible talks about this. You know this. Ready? Here it comes. Blank comes before the fall. Pride, right? And, and, and here's what we usually do. We, use, we, like, we have this, this, uh, this little proverb, oh, you know, pride comes before the fall. And, and what's so funny is we always share that as a bit of insight for everyone else. Hey, hey, just so you know, pride comes before the fall. But you never say it to yourself. Like you're never looking in the mirror going, man, pride's totally gonna come before my fall. You're like, no, 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 not me. It's not gonna get me. But, but for those out there, like for the them, they need to hear this. And, and, and what, Gideon, what happens to Gideon is that pride does come before his fall. 
So here's what we're gonna see this morning. And here's kind of the overarching like theme. And then we're gonna see kind of how, the, how his story and then the following story, um, how it, it fits into this. The road, here it is. Ready? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The road to godliness is paved with humility, not ability. You wanna become godly. You wanna say, I wanna become more like Jesus. I wanna grow in my faith. I wanna, I wanna, be, I want, I wanna grow in godliness. Wonderful. Here's the, here's the secret sauce. Ready? It's humility. It isn't your ability. It isn't based on like how good I become or if I can just accomplish more things for God or, or if, I just, if I just do church enough or I tithe enough or I serve enough or if I just do all of this stuff or if I just grow in my, in my ability to do these things or I learn more and, and it's all great stuff. But, but don't, listen, don't substitute all of that for godliness that, that somehow if you learn more theology um, if, you, uh, if, you, uh, if, you, if you accomplish more things that somehow you are now more godly. There are plenty of people who have great theology who live terrible lives. Because they're, 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 it's not a one-to-one ratio. There, there is a problem. There can be a problem. And, and a life full of pride, full of, of, uh, of the, the self-puffing up of themselves, like the knowledge puff. Man, that is not, that is not how you become more godly. The road to godliness is humility, not ability. Gideon begins to believe that he is the reason for his success. Here's what we're gonna see. Gideon starts to drink his own Kool-Aid, so to speak. He starts to, to think that it really is because of, and it really is all about him. We, what do you know? We tend to take pride in our own ability. We tend to think that, you know what, listen, I've, uh, I've really accomplished a lot in life and maybe in your career, in business, with family, maybe with outside, whatever it may be. Man, I, look at what I've been able to build. Wow. God, you really built me different, didn't you? you? You made me different than everyone else because look what I've been able to do. You realize pretty quickly, man, it has nothing to do with your ability. It is by God's grace you're even breathing right now. The fact that you woke up this morning was because he said, I got another day for you. I'm not done with you yet. I've got some more stuff for you. It isn't because of your ability, but rather God's grace. So we walk in humility. But Gideon doesn't do that. Gideon's victory was only because God intervened, so God gets the glory. But instead, Gideon becomes tempted by his own success. So we see that as he's... uh, uh, he's, he's kind of, they finished the, the battle, it's over, and now all of the armies are scattering, all the Midianites and Amalekites, the bad guys, so to speak, are all, like, kind of on the run, and they're chasing them down, and they're trying to, to specifically capture two of their leaders, like two of the guys, two of the generals, that if we get them, the whole thing's over. So Gideon is chasing them, and he's tired, and, he's, uh, and he needs some resources, he needs some food and rest for his, his men, so he goes to, the, uh, he goes to a, a city in Sukkoth and says, hey, can you give us, can you give us some bread for, and rest for our, my troops? And here's their response, verse six. But the officials of Sukkoth said, do you already have the hands of, of Ziba and Zalmanah in your possession? Those are the two like generals of the bad guy armies. And they, do, wait, do you already have them? Do you already have, you've already captured them? 
It's a rhetorical question to which the answer is no, I don't have them yet. And then they say, well, why should we give bread to your troops? Why should we help you? And there's maybe a few reasons why, but like why they say this, but it's probably this. Hey, you haven't done anything yet to prove yourself. All you've done is like make them scatter, but they can come back and still conquer you. Why should we help you? In fact, if they come back stronger and overtake you, they're gonna kill us for helping you. So you gotta, you gotta prove that you can defeat them by actually defeating them and then, and then we can talk. But in the meantime, no, we can't. We can't help support your troops at all. So now Gideon, he starts to turn a little bit and, and the pride starts to take over and his, his, his desire for, for uh, retribution and revenge and, and authority starts to take over. Then Gideon replied, just for that, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmanah into my hands, guess what I'm gonna do? I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. Okay, you escalated that quickly, Gideon. All they said is, no, we can't give you bread because we're afraid of them. And he says, I'm gonna rip your skin off. That's what's coming. Oh, Gideon. Okay. So here's what continue, continues, verse eight. From there, he went up to, to Peniel, all right, another city, and made the same request of them. But they answered as the men of Sakoth had. So he had said to the men of Peniel, when I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower, this tower of defense, like your city. I'm gonna tear this down. You're not helping me? All right, fine. When I come back, you're gonna feel it. Gideon wants the respect and credit he thinks he's due, and, and they don't wanna be associated with him, maybe out of jealousy, like, no, we wanna take the, or maybe self-preservation, whatever it is. So here's what happens. He goes and he captures these two Midianite uh, leaders, these generals. He doesn't kill them and he brings them back, right? And maybe out of spite, he's just like, all right, I'm not gonna kill you. I'm gonna take them back to the city where, where they told me, like, have you caught them yet? And I'm gonna prove to them that I did. So he brings them back and he shows them and, and then he, he wants to have them and then he has them killed. But he, again, Gideon, man, you, you started your life, you started this thing so well. Um, here's what he says. He asks his son to kill him. His son's there. And before you're like, oh, wow, okay, his son a general. No, 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 no. His son is just a boy, just a little boy. And it says that in the text. And it says, because he was just a small young man, a young boy, he was afraid. And these generals are like, you know, Gideon, if you're a man, do it yourself. Do it yourself. So he kills them. All right, Gideon does. Okay, now we catch up to the story. So he, he caught them and brings them back, and, and then has them killed. And then, and then he's gonna find out now, all right, now I, gotta, now I gotta carry out what I said I would do to the men of Sakoth. And so he finds a, a guy in the city and says like, all right, give me the names of all the elders and the leaders of your city. So he does, all right. So verse 16, he took the elders of the town, this is now Gideon, and taught the men of Sakoth a lesson by punishing them with, the des with desert thorns and briars. He did what he said. And then, verse 17, he also pulled down the tower of Peniel and, and killed the men of the town. He destroyed their, their tower, their ability to defend themselves, and he's making a statement. And here's the statement, ready? If you mess with me, I will make you pay. So, don't do that again. Now, we hear that especially maybe some of us guys, and we're like, yeah, that's right. You mess with me, right? You mess with the bull, you're gonna get maybe the horns. I, uh, honey, what, what part am I gonna give him the horn? Oh, whatever my wife says. 
Some of us, we have this feeling, and we see this in movies, and like, like there's this sense where you're going like, man, if, you, if anyone ever crosses me, I'll let them know. Never to do that again. Listen, listen, I, I understand the feeling. I understand the sentiment. Don't act. Don't pretend for one second that that's the way to godliness. That may be our flesh. That may be what we feel like I need to get even or, or to pay someone back. They did that to me. I'm going to do it 10 times back to them. They'll never do that again. I get that feeling. Like, listen, we, we understand that fleshly feeling, but don't pretend to think that that's somehow what God wants you to do. The road to godliness is paved with humility, not ability, not a matter of like, I'm going to make myself great and wonderful and powerful and I'm going to have authority. No, 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 no. But that's what he does. He destroys the tower. And, and you, see, you see something change in Gideon where now he becomes this guy. And because if you remember, these aren't enemies anymore. These are other Israelites. These are his people from a different town, a different clan. But these aren't the bad guys anymore that he's fighting and killing and, and tearing down their towers. Whew. Something changes. Gideon begins to think that he really is, he really is the guy. And anyone who crosses him, he, he will pay back tenfold. Then we see this. Gideon does kind of a good thing, but really not. Gideon refuses to become king, but he still lives like one. And what do you know, guys? What do you know? We can often say one thing and act the opposite. Not you, but other people can say one thing and do another. And, and, and Gideon does the same thing. He does what you and I do quite often. We say one thing, we believe one thing, but we don't act in that belief or understanding. It's clear now, Gideon is the clear authority in, in Israel. He's the guy you don't mess with. He's the judge. He saved Israel. He, anyone who talks back to him or mistreats him, he's gonna make them pay. All right, he's the guy. So if you can't beat him, join him. So all of Israel now is like, he's the guy. And here's what they say, verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us. Essentially, be our king. You, your son, and your grandson, because you saved us from the hand of Midian. Now, this is a, a natural progression. Hey, this is the guy. If anyone is going to rule Israel, if anyone's going to lead Israel, it's got to, who else can it be other than Gideon? Like, he is the guy. But Gideon told them, this is where he gets it right, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. That is great. And then he should have stopped. He, uh, he makes a mistake. He continues. And he said, I do have one request. One, one little thing, though. That each of you give me an earring from the share of your plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. So all of these soldiers have gold earrings, and they collect, all, obviously, all of the spoils of war. And Gideon is tempted by these. And, and, and he says, all right, hey, guys, I don't need everything. Just give, if you, all of you just give me one earring that you got that would be wonderful. That's all the payment that I would ask. So they do. All right. Verse 27. Gideon made the gold, now this is a problem, into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And now we see the commentary now of what, of what happened. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. Because if you remember, idolatry, according to the Bible, idolatry is adultery. It's cheating and leaving God. And so all of Israel does this. They commit adultery against God by worshiping 
this ephod and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. He creates this ephod. Now, an ephod is a very specific um, article of clothing. It's a gold breastplate that the, the priest would wear. And in it would be 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and, and whoever had this, whoever wore these priestly garments, and in particular this ephod, was seen as God's kind of like, uh, God's mediator between him and men. Like this was the priest and this was the person now that, that, was, that was in charge of communicating on behalf of God and vice versa. You would go to the priest and here's how you know who the priest was. They wore their priestly garments and in particular this ephod. And so he makes one for himself. He doesn't earn this, like, he doesn't, he, he's not part of the, like, tribal Levi. He's not, like, God doesn't tell him, hey, you're going to be a priest. He just decides, I'm the guy. Here's why this is a big deal and why this becomes a snare for him. He essentially says, I will dub myself the high priest, and I will be the one. I will be the one that you will come to to find guidance from the Lord. So I'll set it up in my hometown. And anyone who wants to, to come and hear from the Lord, you gotta go through me. I'm the guy now. I'm the one blessed by God. Now, this, this is very subtle, but it shows a real temptation. It showcases the power that, how power can subtly change and corrupt someone, even a person God chooses to be a leader can be corrupted by the power, the, the allure for more, more control, more authority, more power. Timothy Keller says this, and he relates this to ministry, how, how this can happen in ministry. He says this, the 19th century preacher, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, once warned younger Christians, don't go into the ministry to save your soul. Don't go into the ministry to get fixed. I, I say this a lot, actually. I, 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 my, like the language I use is, is ministry, you don't go into ministry to get rehabilitated. You don't go into ministry to get yourself fixed. This is what he's saying. Don't go into ministry to try to like, get your soul saved. He knew it was very easy for us to use church leadership, not to serve and honor God, but to win influence and honor for ourselves. Of course, Gideon-like, we still say that God is king, but we want people to look to us for guidance, for answers, for salvation. We, he says, we need to be needed. We make an ephod and wear it ourselves. How subtle, he says, and how deadly. He, this is what he's saying, ready? And, and I'm gonna get on a little bit of a soapbox here. Ministry is a weird thing. And those who, who, who are placed in a position of leadership and, and even speak on like God's word and on behalf of God, it's a weird thing because two things happen. Two things happen nearly every Sunday for me. I'm gonna give you a little, a little window into my life, ready? Two things happen. The first is criticism. Great, bring it on, right? All right, there's criticism that comes in, in leadership and particularly, especially in church leadership. And on the flip side, there's, it's not just... It's not just like it's not just criticism, but it's also it's also people will give you credit and they will they will congratulate. You get criticism, and sometimes literally in like I'll have a conversation of criticism followed by congratulation. I'm going, this is crazy. This is crazy. The same experience, but one is a critique, and one and, and and this happens all the time. And what happens, listen, 
this is the temptation. The temptation is to limit the criticism and say, I don't want to listen to the critics. All I want are the people who congratulate. And, and, and this, this happens in ministry all the time, that we, and, and if you're in leadership, and you, maybe you know this too, like whether it be business or anything, where you're kind of above people and, and, and like in charge of decisions, what happens is over time, you start really believing all of the nice things people say about you. And you start believing that maybe, you know what? Maybe God really did make me special. Maybe I really am different and blessed and better than. And it starts as like a, oh, that's kind of funny. But over time, and I've seen this in people's lives and in churches and in pastors where they actually get to a point where they believe it. They really do think that I am the one I am the one that speaks on behalf of God. I'm the one in, in charge of the church. I'm the one controlling this. And, and especially the larger the church, like, and some of you, I wanna be careful, but some of you have a past and you've been burned by churches and, and struggle with churches. And I, I know because I've had conversations with some of you and, and, and some of when we say that, like you've had burn, been burned by churches, it's not by the church, but by people and probably a person. And often that person is the pastor. That something happens. And, and you can, this is so, man, it's so subtle, but it, the temptation is there. I, I was, I, I know a number of pastors that like kind of go down this way and it's like, oh man, it's so hard to watch. And, and then eventually like if they get to a point where they fall, it becomes newsworthy and it's like, it's in the, and it's just all about what they did wrong. And, and I, I, I remember hearing a guy once say that, that he was the best, he, he is the best preacher that the church can afford and they're lucky to have him. And I hear that, I'm going, oh man, I think you just disqualified yourself. I think that like you really do, you, you are drinking your own, you really do think this is about you and about what you, man, may it never be the case. If, if this church ever gets to a point where we say, hey, listen, you wanna follow God? Everyone else is doing it wrong. Everyone, we got it right. So if you, wanna, if you really wanna know the Lord, you gotta come sit in these seats. You gotta come listen to me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. Now, I, I, listen, if that ever happens, just vote me out. Vote me out. I, I, have now, I can't be your pastor anymore. But listen, there are churches and there are pastors who say that. Oh, it, it, just, it just hurts my, if it wasn't so sad, it'd be funny if it wasn't so sad, like, oh, you really think? And that's what happens to Gideon because he starts believing that it really is all about him, that it is about his ability. It's all about his ability. And instead, instead of walking in humility, he walks in more power and he says, you know what? Give me the ephod. I'll be in charge here spiritually, in charge of, every, in charge of a nation. Oh, no. So it continues. It wraps up his life. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise his hand, its head again. Midian was done. They conquered it. Gideon, you took care of him, sort of. The Lord did it and you took the credit. During Gideon's lifetime, the, life, the land had peace for 40 years. Wonderful. Now it continues. And now here's why we say that in his, in, in, in his speech, he talks about not becoming king, but he didn't live that way. Let's look at what it, it says. Jerubbaal, Gideon, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. Okay. Now he's living the life of a king. Right? You don't have 70 sons with one wife. It's like, I don't, it's not possible. But 
many wives. He starts taking wives and concubines. And then it says this, his concubine who lived in Shechem also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech. Now, did we hear that? And you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. All right, great. You know what Abimelech means? Ab means father, like Abba. And Melech means king. His name literally means my father is king. He named his son. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to be the king. Listen, guys, I don't want to be the king. The Lord is your king. Hey, name my son. His father is king, okay? When he's born, make sure that everyone knows that his, his name means I'm the king. It literally means his father is the king. And Gideon picked it. Gideon named him. Gideon lived the life of a king. Though he said he didn't want it and didn't want to, he did. He absolutely did. He decided, I'm going to be the spiritual authority. I'm going to be the king, though not in name, but I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the ruler, and I'm in charge. So it continues. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Now, the story is, you would say like, okay, it's done there. It kind of ends well. But his legacy is not, is not done. He has 70 sons. What happens to them? Now the story continues. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals, or the Baals. It's technically pronounced Baal. They set up Baal Barith as their god. As soon as Gideon dies, they're like, go back to our old gods. They set up Baal Barith as their god and did not remember the Lord their god who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. It's the the merry-go-round continues. They're right back in this sin cycle that we get into. They get peace, and then the judge dies, and now it's right back into worshiping other gods, idolatry, pursuing anything other than God himself. Man, now we're gonna see his son take over. This, this Abimelech, this my father is king, he is gonna now become the guy, and it, gets, it goes from bad to worse. Abimelech, we see, thirst for power corrupts everything. His thirst for power is going to corrupt his life and Israel and like everything. What do you know? Our thirst for control always leads us away from God. The key to God's heart is not saying, God, I want to be in charge more and you less. (laughs) I want more control of my life, of those in my life. I want of my surroundings. Just I don't need you to step in. I'll take it from here. Abimelech's thirst for power is gonna corrupt everything. We see it on full display. Instead of relying on God to raise up a new judge, Abimelech decides he's the one who take control. So here's what happens. He goes to the city and, um, and he says, all right, guys, um, do you, I'm gonna, let me just put this out there. Why, why have 70 leaders? Why, have, why, why follow the 70 sons of Gideon when you can only follow one? And, and you know, it just so happens that I'll be that one. But, but why, follow, why have 70 leaders when you can just have one? And they go, you know what? You're right. It would be better to have one. Instead of following all the sons of Gideon, we'll just follow one. And, and you happen to be the guy who lives here. You're our one. Like, you're part of us. Like, you know, he's the half-brother of everyone else. Because he, but like, all right, sure. So it, it, it says this. It continues. In chapter 9, now verse 4, 
they, the people of Shechem, gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple that they now started worshiping from the tithe. They would give tithes to this Baal Barith, this false god. And they're like, all right, we've got some extra money here. All right, they give him 70 shekels from the temple of Baal Barith. And Abimelech used it, this is funny, to hire reckless scoundrels. <laughs> ESV, I think, says like, rec- like reckless and worthless men. Like these are, these are hit men who have no moral, like no moral compass whatsoever. And these, so he hires these reckless scoundrels who become his followers. He, he gets a bad group of guys to become his, he hires them. And then it says this, he went to his father's home in Afra, and on one stone, a large stone, but one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal. He arrests them all, all of them. They're half-brothers of his. They, have, they all got the same dad. But they're all threats to the throne. They're all threats to power. They're threats to his power. So they're arrested. They're probably lined up. It's on one stone. So lined up one at a time. Put them on the stone, slaughter them. All right, next. Put them on the stone, slaughter them. This is going to take a while. There's 70 of you. doesn't matter. Here we go. Put them on the stone, slaughter them. And, and you can imagine all of these guys going... Gideon was our dad. Gideon, Gideon was the, like, he was in charge. How is this happening? How have they turned on us so quickly? And now I'm watching every one of my brothers be slaughtered in front of me. And I'm going to be slaughtered on the rock with their blood still on it. All, all because of this guy. How can this possibly be happening? This Abimelech's thirst for power, it corrupts everything. So they kill all of the sons. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, Gideon, escaped by hiding. So he, he, he's the only one. And then it says that at, his coron- at, uh, at, uh, at Abimelech's coronation, where, where he's made king, that he, he goes up on a mountain and he yells over them and he gives this prophecy, he gives this, this parable, and it's, it's quite lengthy, so we won't read it. But he talks about how um, uh, he gives this story of this illustration of all these trees wanting another kind of tree to be king. And they want to go to the fig, but he says no, and the olive tree says no. And he finally gets to all, the, like, all of these good trees, and they say, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be the king. We don't want to be the king. Like, they're doing the righteous thing. And then, and then there's a thorn bush. And this thorn bush says, all right, I'll rule over you. Sure. You know what? You can rest in my shade. And he says, you've chosen the thorn bush, Abimelech. And you know what? You're going to be consumed by his fire, and he's going to be consumed by yours. You guys, you guys deserve each other, and you're both going to destroy each other. Mark my words. And then he takes off, and we, we don't hear from him again. So here we pick up the story. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, three years no go, that's a long time, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. And this animosity is probably not as accurate a word. It's actually like a spirit, like an evil, like a, um, an evil spirit. He, like God causes some extra, like some extra, like animosity, but it's a stronger word between them. Between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem. So they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jerubbaal's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who helped him murder his brother. So like, God's like saying, all right, it's time. I've let you, I'll give you three years. It's time. You can't, you can't continue in this any longer. I have to step in and end this, this, this corruption of your power and control. So he causes this animosity between them. Here's what we see in Galatians chapter six, ready? 
This, when you ask questions like, where's God in this? Here's the answer. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It may be longer than you would prefer, longer than you want, but Paul tells us, he says, listen, don't you dare think you can mock God. Don't you dare. Don't be deceived thinking that you can get away making fun or mocking or disregarding or, or talking less of or like, where's God now? Don't you dare think that you get to mock God and his house and his people. God cannot be mocked and a man reaps what he sows. And what we see is Abimelech is gonna reap what he sows because Abimelech and the Israelites and Shechem, man, they, they are mocking God and worshiping other, other false gods and idols. Oh. So here's what we see. Abimelech is gonna pay for his sins with his death. He pays for these sins with his own death. And what do you know? What do you know? What we read in the Bible about us is that the wages of our sin is our death. That Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That, 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 like the reward you get for your sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death, like separation from God. And thankfully, graciously, God doesn't end it there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in your ability. No, that's not what it says. In Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with what you can or have done. All in what Jesus did. The wages of sin is death and the wages of Abimelech's sin is death. So a new, a new kid shows up on the block. This guy named Gaal. These are super sweet names. Like, honestly, they're all great. Now, Gaal, the son of Ebed. Okay, wait till, I think it's next week. Uh, there's an even like more awesome name that shows up. So now, now Gaal, son of Ebed, moved in with his clan into Shechem and it's, Citizens put their confidence in him. New guy on the block. And, and they're like, you know, we don't really like Abimelech. Here's this new guy who shows up. And after they'd gone out in the fields and gathered the grapes and trotted them, they had a festival in the temple of their God. And while they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. And they said all this stuff like, oh man, if he was around, I would, I would take him. I would kill him and all his followers. They start talking about like what they would do to him. And, and the whole city's going, yeah, let's get rid of this guy. We don't like him anymore. And they, they, so they, they, they put their support under new guy, Gaal. All right, he's gonna be the guy. There's a problem though. The problem is that the city governor, everyone seemed to turn except the city governor who was on Abimelech's side. So he goes to him and says, hey man, you got a problem. There, there's an uprising here in the city and like it's not going well and you need to do something about this. And he's, well, what am, I, what am I gonna do? And he says, here's what you do. Bring all your guys at night and take them at night when they can't see. Come down the mountain, and they won't know it's you, and you'll surprise ambush them, take them out. All right, so that's what he does. That's a good plan. So he does that, and this guy, well, while all of, the, all of Abimelech's men are on the mountain, kind of coming towards the city and moving at night, so it's, it's dark out, right? He says, he says to the city governor, he's like, man, it looks like there's men up there on this mountain. Like, well, they're all coming down. Like, what are we going to do? And the governor goes, oh, no, those aren't men. Those are just trees moving in shadows. It's not, don't worry, you're going to be totally fine. He's like, are you sure? Sure enough, it is men, and they come and attack, and they overtake Gaal, and they, and, they, and they wipe them out, right? So Abimelech takes them out fairly easily. And then it says this, verse 45, chapter 9. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. 
But that wasn't enough because he learned from dad. Again, he learned a few lessons from dad. And one is, if they come against you, you have to squash them. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. All right, not only am I gonna destroy this, you'll never be able to rebuild. I'm gonna scatter. You're not gonna be able to grow anything in these fields. I'm wiping you out completely. Let this be a lesson to everyone else. If you come against me, I will ruin your city and everyone in it, and you'll never grow crops again. Ooh, that's a, that is a steep price to pay to go against Abimelech. So it continues. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. This is now, he goes to a, a different city because he's still trying to conquer and still keep everyone in line. So he goes to another place and, and it says that he went to the tower and attacked it. But as, and this is like kind of funny. I mean, it's not funny, it's real life, but like, okay, that ended quickly. But as he approached the entrance uh, to the tower to set it on fire because he saw dad do this. He saw dad tear down a tower. Peniel, remember, he was all upset and he, and he turns on, dad did this, all right. I've seen how it's done, I know how to do it. As he turned to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. And that's it. It's over. What are the odds? What are the odds? Now, again, the pride of this man is even in his death, he's like, no, I can't allow this to happen. So it says this, hurriedly he called his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed me. I'm not dying by the hand of a woman. She just hurt me, mere flesh wound. I need you to kill me. I'm gonna die. I can't, I need to have a a warrior kill me. So a servant ran him through and he died. And then when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they stopped everything. He says, they went home. They're like, I think we're done here. You wanna fight anymore? No, he's dead. Like that was the whole reason we're doing this. Let's go home, right? All right, so they go home. It ended quickly for him, really quickly. When God says it's done, it's done. When God says you're done, guess what? You're done. An upper millstone will fall on your head. <laughs> Somehow, somewhere, but you're done. And it was done. He's done. It's over. Pride corrupted everything in his life. And he paid for it with his death. And it says this, that God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by, father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of this story, this, this parable that Jotham gave earlier, the son of Jerubal came on them. When God says enough, it's enough. Here's what we see, James chapter four, verse six. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the, the, the path to godliness, the path to becoming like Jesus, to become more and more like in, in step with the spirit is not through ability. It's not through pride. It's not through thinking you can do it. It's not by making yourself better or like getting yourself better or, or making everyone else think that somehow you're greater. It really comes through humility. The road to godliness is paved with humility, not ability. So, Here's the question, ready? What does more humility look like in your life for you?
And not a false sense of humility where someone says, oh, such a, you did such a great job. Oh, no, it's not me. It's, it's all the Lord. He does it all. But honestly, I did a lot of work. So yeah, thank you. In fact, keep, keep, tell, keep, keep reminding myself of just how great I am. We're not talking about that, but, but legitimate, honest, real humility. Because you can have, you can, you can let the Lord humiliate you or you can say, I'm gonna humble myself. I, I promise you, one option is better than the other. Where you say, God, it really is about you. It's, it's not about any one person or anything. It's not, it's not about any one particular leader at any moment. At any moment, God can replace any one of us as though he, like, he doesn't need us. God doesn't, listen, God does not need you for anything. He doesn't need me for anything. He wants his church to grow and he wants people to get saved. He doesn't need me. He uses me for whatever reason. And, it's, and it's, whenever my time's done, he's like, all right, millstone, you're done. Oh, that's it. And now it's time for the next. He doesn't need any of us to think that somehow, that somehow you are so great that God can't, he just simply can't move on or can't get along without you is, is, uh, is terrible, terrible theology. And it's gonna ruin you to think that somehow, somehow God has to use you or else. When God starts to use people, when God really uses people, like the, the kind of person that God can get a hold of and say, I can do great things, is the person who says, it's not about me. It's not about, none of this is about me. It's not about my name or making myself great. It really is all about God. And, and I wanna walk humbly knowing at any moment he could just end my breath. I could not wake up tomorrow as much as I want to. Lord, I wanna wake up tomorrow. He could just say, you know what? You're not gonna, it's time. So we walk in humility, not proud of our ability. God has given you gifts and he wants you to use them. But don't act like that means you're being more godly. Godliness comes with humility. So in your life, what does more humility look like? What does it look like to say it really isn't about me? It's not about like what, how great I am and what I can do and, and how much better I am than all these other people. Thank you, Lord, that I've, you've made me so much better than all these other schmucks. No, that's not. It really is all about God and, and remembering your place in his great scheme. Would you do this? We're gonna worship, so would you, would you stand with me as we think about worshiping God together and, and what it means to say, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live. God, I need more humility. I need more humility. Pride is such a, an easy thing that creeps in and it can change and tweak and, and corrupt us from the inside. So Lord, take that from me. So will you pray with me? So God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples we get in your word. There are plenty of good examples. And then there's stories like these where they're just neg negative example of, of, of what absolute power does to someone, what pride does to someone. We want to be people who humble ourselves, who walk humbly with you. What does the Lord require? <laughs> One of the three things, Lord, that you tell us is to walk humbly with you to walk humbly with you. Help us, Lord, to do that. To recognize this isn't about us. None of this is about any of us. It's all about you. So may we continue to walk humbly with you for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's worship.